Well, how is it all going to end? History, the earth, the universe. Where are we going? What's going to happen? When will we reach the end? Um, in the olden days, those words, the end, they, they came up at the close of a cartoon. And they'd flash up on the screen and the music would start, the credits would roll and it would be time for dinner. The end. Sometimes Christians long for the end. Sometimes Christians look at the world, they look at their lives, they look at all the frustrations in their lives, and they just cry, how long? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul uses a word that he only uses once, has only used once in the New Testament, Maranatha. Maranatha, it means come, O Lord. And the whole Bible ends with a similar cry. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, yes, I'm coming soon. And God's people respond, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Maybe that's your cry this evening. Maybe that word, Maranatha, is a word that needs to come back into our Christian vocabulary. Christians of course, though, I've been debating, discussing what the end will mean, what it will exactly look like ever since the ascension. If you type the words end time theology into Google, well, you'll get enough pages to last a millennium. And uh, our passage, I think, it helps us get ready for the end. That's the the theme tonight, as we finish this series in, in Daniel, it's my prayer that this part of God's word will help us live faithfully as we wait for Christ's return. There's three things I want us to see, hopefully tonight. Um, a taste of the end, the truth about the end, and trust till the end. Firstly, a taste of of the end, verses 21 to 20, of verses 21 to 35, a taste of the end. If you look at these verses, um, verse 21 to 35, they are a, a description of a tyrant. Uh, the man that most people think this section is all about is someone we've met before, Antiochus Epiphanes. The, this is the last time in the book of Daniel we're going to meet a ruler like this. And even as I say that, it reminds us of something that rulers, however terrifying they might be, however powerful, come to an end. And they come to an end even when they are as savage as this man. The word that came into my mind when I read uh, these verses for the first time was ferocity. Ferocity. He is like a wolf. Daniel's told this man, this man Antiochus Epiphanes, will appear suddenly. He'll come without warning, verse 21. He'll burst onto the scene of history. He'll wreak havoc. And yet for all his power, all his strength, all his ferocity, maybe you can see the other side to him. Look at how he's going to obtain his kingdom, verse 21, with flatteries, another F. I wonder, has anyone ever tried to flatter you? It happens quite often, doesn't it? 
People do that. They appeal to our ego. And when we're flattered, we often make mistakes, don't we? see a similar idea in verse 32. This man will come, he'll appear suddenly, verse 32. He'll appeal to those who are proud, this deceitful, manipulative man. He will come and he will do great damage to people. He'll have a small group around him, verse 23. And he'll exercise an incredible influence. We see something of this in verse 24. When he shows up, this man, he will feel unprecedented. He will have the kind of power that that generations before him could only dream about. But there's another F, ferocity, (laughs) flattery. Look at his focus, his focus. Look where his hatred is going to be directed. When this man appears... His hatred will be centered not on Egypt. He will secure a victory there, verse 27. No, his eyes will be on another place. The reference is made in verse 28 to the Holy Covenant. And this makes us think of the temple in Jerusalem. This makes us realize that his focus, his bullseye is going to be the people of God. And even then, even after he has tried and failed to repeat his success against Egypt, verse 29 seems to indicate that this man, he will be like a wounded animal. He will, he will rage against God's people. He'll hate the faithful. And yet, even as he hates them, he will find some who will be faithless. There'll be some who will compromise their faith when he appears. He'll Deceive them, some will stumble, verse 35. So these events, they will not be the end, but they will be a taste of the end. They'll be similar to the end. They'll be a kind of backwards echo of the end, a pattern for God's people to reflect on. You know, throughout church history, the way that Christians have related to political power is something that has been uh, really hotly debated, almost as much as talk of the end times. How are we to relate to the state? Uh, Recently, I read an article by a man called Carl Truman. I read anything he's written that I have time to read. And Carl Truman said that Christians in the West, he said, they appear to be entering a kind of exile period. We are in a Babylonian society. We have not been carried away to a foreign land, but things have changed and we all know it. There was a time in this country when Christians had power. There was a time when we had influence, but not now. And we probably haven't thought enough about the implications of that, what that might mean for the next generation, how we might help prepare them to live in hostile conditions. We need to do that. We need to pray for them. We need to help them. And yet, can you see um, in these verses that there are still lots of signs of hope 
woven into this description of a terrible ruler are hints that his power is limited. We see uh, the first of these hints in the last five words of verse 24. Do you see them? But only for a time. But only for a time. Words like that, what they do is they put the brakes on, don't they? Put the brakes on this individual. So does the second half of verse 29. And so does verse 30. Even this fearful one is going to experience fear. And even though there will some, there'll be some who are faithless when he appears, there will also be some who are faithful. There will still be people who know their God, verse 32. They will take action against them. In the midst of all the chaos, God will preserve and protect a people for himself. Even when this man is doing terrible, awful things, God will hold on to his own. And this is what happened when Antiochus Epiphanes came. This is what happens throughout history. This is what is happening even now in our world. This is what will happen right at the very end. And so as Revelation, the book of Revelation puts it, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. A taste of the end. There's a second thing we see uh, in this passage. We see the truth of the end. Verse 36 to chapter 12, verse 4. The truth of the end. A taste of the end. Secondly, the truth of the end. Verse 36 to chapter 12, verse 4. I think one of the things we're um, often so fascinated by um, end times, end time theology people come along, don't they, and they say, God has told me that the world is going to end on whatever date. We're, people are often taken in by that, aren't they? And maybe they're taken in because it, we all kind of love a bit of mystery. We uh, like to know what's going on. We, f- we like when things feel a bit mysterious. But these verses are here to give us clarity. Clarity. Now, if you read some of the discussions of uh, these verses, you would be forgiven for thinking otherwise. There's been lots of debate about the identity of this man, the king, in verse 36. Is Daniel still just being told about Antiochus Epiphanes? Or is there someone else uh, in view, perhaps? Christians disagree in these things. But I believe it's the latter. When we read a passage like this, it's important to remember the whole of the Bible storyline. We never read a text like this in isolation. We read it from the vantage point of the whole Bible, of the the New Testament. And what we know from the New Testament is that there will be a final opponent of God's people. John calls this figure the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And yet, John says, even now many antichrists have come. Paul says, even now the, the spirit of lawlessness is at work. And yet there will be 
there will be a capital A Antichrist. He will come. Now, I'm pretty persuaded that that is the correct way to to view this uh, passage. And I'm persuaded because of the way chapter 12 begins. If you look at it, if you look at verse 1, look at what it says. At that time shall arise Michael, a great prince who has charge of your people. At that time he'll arise. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been. There's a sense here that things are going to reach a climax. And maybe if you look at verse 2, can you see the the resurrection language? There's separation language here as well. Some people will rise to, to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And Daniel is to, he's to seal these words until the time of the end. So this is the great day. This is the day that history is heading to. This is the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in humility. But one day he will return in glory, bring all these things to pass. Before he does, what will happen? Antichrist. Antichrist. Daniel is told that someone will appear who will exalt and magnify, not God, but himself. Verse 36. Do you see that? This person will come and will walk around like a deity. He'll prosper. He'll have power, military power. Verse 38. It will be a time when allegiances are tested. It will be a time when those who honor him will receive honor from him. Verse 39. Now, maybe you have a question. Maybe um, you don't quite agree with my interpretation uh, of this passage. Maybe you look at verse 40 to, to 45, and you think, well, that language doesn't seem very 21st century. There's lots of talk of horsemen and chariots and battles and Edom and Moab and Cushites and so on. Is this really what we should expect before Christ returns? Is, is it really talking about the end? Is it only just talking about someone like Antiochus Epiphanes? What we need to remember is that this is a prophetic vision. And here's how someone has put it. Prophetic visions view the future in terms of the contemporary. Dan, I'll say that again. Prophetic visions view the future in terms of the contemporary. Daniel is told about this great event in the future in language that he can understand. Now, throughout history, many of um, assume that they live in the very, very last days, haven't they? The, the last days are the time from the first appearance of Christ to the second coming. But there have been lots of predictions about uh, the latter, haven't there? In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, people are saying, Jesus has already come. He's returned. You've missed it. But listen to what Paul said. Let no one deceive you. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And what will Jesus do to him when he is? He will 
kill him. He will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And yet, like Antiochus Epiphanes, this final, this doomed figure, when he comes, he will focus on the people of God. Maybe you see the reference to the glorious land in verse 41. When the Antichrist comes, he will attack the body of Christ. He will try to harm and destroy the people the Lord Jesus has died for. And yet, friends, look at the end of verse 45. Look at the final sentence in chapter 11. Yet he shall come to his end. Yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. Read that slowly. Let that come into you. Let, take it in. He shall come to his end with no one to help him. Friends, I said last week that we have reasons to rejoice when we read a chapter like this to say hallelujah. Well, it's even more at the end of this chapter. There's so much aggro and bluster and power and ego and violence in this chapter. And then we read that final sentence. He shall come to his end. And then we remember something else that's written. Not just in this book, but another book. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Someone has called verse 1 the citizen list of the true Israel. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The rest of the Bible makes clear that if you're a Christian, you are in that book. You are on that list. And whatever you're going through tonight, whatever is ahead of you tomorrow, you and I, we are the people who know our God. And yet it's not, it's more than that. We are the people who are known by him too. Our destiny, Daniel's Final chapter teaches us is that our destiny is to shine like the stars in heaven. One day we will be what God always planned us to be. We will be holy in his sight. So a taste of the end. The truth about the end. But there's a last thing. Trust till the end. Trust till the end. Verse 5 to verse 13. Now, you and I, we need um, examples in the Christian life. Many of us will know people who've had a big impact on us because they seem to live with the end in view. And yet, at first glance, these closing verses, they might not seem the kind of thing that would help us uh, live that way. They look a bit confusing, don't they? We have a vision of two men. We have the mention of the abomination that makes desolate. And then we have two references to lots of days. Couldn't Daniel have finished this book in a bit more easy, simpler way? That was the, the question that was running through my mind earlier this week. But what I want to show you is that these nine verses, they are, they are packed with encouragement. Look first with me at the man. 
The man in verse 7. Notice uh, the question that he's asked. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? What he's asking there is really, how long will all this trouble last? That's the question you and I often ask, isn't it? Notice his posture. Notice what he does with his hands. He raises both his hands to heaven. What in normal convention, when people are making an oath or in court, they lift one hand, don't they? Today and in the Old Testament. And so this man is saying, I am going to tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And just in case you don't believe me, I want you to know what I'm going to tell you is really the truth. Notice a familiar phrase. All this will be for a time, times, and half a time. We said before that that's uh, three and a half. It's half of the, the biblical number for perfection. In other words, this trouble that's coming, it will last for a limited time. There will come a time when it's all finished. But I think what I find so encouraging is verse 8. Daniel hears all these things. Daniel has access to divine revelation. He is a, a wonderfully faithful man, and yet he still has a question in verse 8. What shall be the outcome of these things? I think you and I were often like that, aren't we? We have questions. Maybe you've got questions for God tonight. But look at the response Daniel has given. Go your way, Daniel, it is not for you to know the exact times or dates the Father has set for his own authority. When all this will happen, how exactly all these things will happen, when it will all end, that is not information you are privy to. And yet he is given something of an answer, isn't he? Look at verses 10 to 13. Notice the things he's told he can know. Daniel is told he can know that there will be what someone has called two humanities, the wicked and the pure. God will have a people for himself. And in the midst of all the chaos, they'll look like fools. But they'll be the people who'll really be wise. That's us tonight if we trust in Jesus. Daniel is told that these people will endure when Antiochus Epiphanes comes, when he enters the temple, when he commits the kind of act that can only be called an abomination, it will not be the end for God's people. See, we could spend, we could spend 1,290 days discussing all the different interpretations of the numbers at the end of this chapter, this book. But if you look at those two numbers, what is the most basic thing we know about them? One is bigger than the other. And what that means is that when the forces of darkness do their worst, when the, the devil seems in charge, when the Antichrist comes, when it all seems lost, it will not be the end. There will still be a final chapter to come. I think that's a great encouragement to us. It's an encouragement to persevere. 
It's a warning not to compromise. It's an encouragement to keep trusting. It's what Daniel is told to do in verse 13. Keep going, Daniel, till your end. Keep going till you die. You've started a life of faith. Keep going. And remember that you can die with confidence. You will die, but you will rise. You will rest, but you will stand. And where will you stand, Daniel? Well, look at the very last words. The experts tell us that that little phrase, allotted place, that little phrase refers to something earthy. It refers to land. This is the hope Daniel has. This is the hope that we have. Resurrection. New creation. Something solid and physical. I said earlier that uh, we need examples in the Christian life. And uh, Audrey was a friend of mine. She died a few years ago. She was well advanced in years. She had known family tragedy as a child. She was single all her life. She was very ordinary. And yet her life was spectacular. She was totally devoted to one church for her whole adult life, church I went to as a student. She held a prayer meeting in her home once a month for a pastor in the Philippines. She just opened up her home and people came to that prayer meeting. She loved Starbucks blueberry muffins. And every time I went to see her, she seemed to have problems with her internet. And she would hate that I was using her in a sermon illustration. And when she finally seemed to be nearing the end of her life, I went to see her in the nursing home. Her room was tiny, but she was full of joy because she had a window. And she would often say, as she got older, as she got more ill, she would often say, I don't know how people cope who are not Christians. She was someone who knew her God, and he knew her. And in the end, well, in the end, nothing matters more, does it? Well, let's pray.